The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, the business secretary has been defending the lifting of some lockdown restrictions in England today, saying they're very cautious, tentative steps. Of course, there has been a lot of criticism of this. But Alex Sharma says it's not a dash to restart the economy, though non-essential shops will open in the next phase of the lockdown lifting. These are very cautious, tentative steps that we are taking, and that's right and proper, and we will continue to review this. And clearly, the one thing nobody wants to see is a second spike. But the Association of Directors of Public Health says experts are worried that ministers are making the wrong judgment by easing measures too quickly. At the same time, more than 20 other scientists wrote to The Observer saying the government is at risk of losing public trust and, as a result, their compliance. It comes amid concerns over primary schools in England. They're bringing back more pupils today. A poll for the National Foundation for Educational Research shows headteachers expect 46% of families to keep their kids at home. Well, joining us, I'm very pleased to say today, is Taiwo Owatemi, who's Labour MP for Coventry Northwest. Taiwo, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, let me first pick you up on in terms of the return to school, the partial return to school that's going on today, I'm sure, in your constituency as well as everywhere else. Do you think it is the right time to do this? Thank you for having me on the programme. I think that we have to ensure that our pupils are safe. Um, and I know that in my constituency, all our schools are required to do a risk assessment, which has to be approved by the council before the schools are open. I know that in one of the local primary schools, they're only expecting about a third of pupils to go back. And we're monitoring closely to see how successful that is. However, I do believe that our main priority is ensuring that pupils are safe. Um, and I think, I think a lot of parents are concerned about how this can be rather disruptive um, to the economy. What about the lockdown more widely? Do you think that the easing is being uh, happening too quickly? I think that's rather difficult to say because I guess if we compare ourselves to other countries like New Zealand, in which their lockdown happened way earlier, um, you know, some people would argue that maybe we should start it earlier. However, I think the government was right to ensure that the British, the safety of British public was being put at first. Um, I know that many scientists have raised their concerns about there being a second spike. So I think that the government is trying their best to ensure that this is happening at the right time. But I think what's important is to ensure that the, the trust of the British public is maintained. Um, and this is why the issue with Dominic Cummings is actually a problem, because many many of the members of the public that I have been in contact with have raised their concern as to how do, they, how do we expect 
them to keep the social distancing, to keep to the laws, when the government doesn't have the same criteria for its own staff. Let me ask you something that I guess is going to be a key issue for you yourself, Tawe, because uh, tomorrow uh, MPs are supposed to uh, resume sitting in Parliament and there's been a move to get rid of the online voting system that had been there, so it will involve you actually being there. I mean, first of all, let me ask you, are you going to go to Westminster and how are you going to, to manage this, which must be very difficult for, for people such as yourself? I will be going to Westminster and I'll be taking the train um, so it will be my first experience actually um, going on public transport since the lockdown. So that would be quite interesting to see how that's been implemented. Um, in terms of how, so the next question you asked is how, do we, how are we dealing with it in terms of voting? Um, we've been made aware that we'll be voting according to the two-metre distance. So I think voting will take longer. So usually our voting is done within a matter of minutes. Um, and there's been some speculation that this, this could take up to hours for the voting to be completed. Um, it, it is our first time trying out this voting, so um, yeah, it'll be quite interesting to see how the setup is done and how the minister plans to to keep the um, safety while we're voting. So, so, so are you in support, to be clear, of the new suggestions around voting uh, that that we're hearing is going to come from the leader of the House of Commons, or is there an alternative you prefer to see? Personally, I pers- I think that what we should have stayed to is virtual parliament. A lot of, of MPs won't be able to attend and come down to Parliament due to their health difficulties, due to family um, due to family commitments. And I think that what we should have done is provide the option of virtual for those who can't, who are unable to attend due to their own personal difficulties. We shouldn't be discriminating um, on votes based on people's, I guess, personal situation. But also, it's about the main reason our Parliament exists is for us to have diplomatic debates. And the fact that it's going to take hours for us to vote um, does limit the time for us to actually participate in debates. I know that the Commons have already cancelled the justice debate that was meant to happen. Um, and what we should be doing as a parliament is um, is reviewing laws and um, ensuring that the economy and, I guess, our policies are still happening. Um, and that's not what we're going to be doing. After returning back to parliament, we need to seems like a bureaucracy um a statement for which the government wants to make that we are running officially and well, we're not because, as I said, the one the other activities that should be taking place are going to be put on pause while we vote. Uh, Tyra, let me ask you about something again I know which is very close to your heart, which is the effect of all this on the BAME community in the UK. There has been a lot of concern that it does seem to disproportionately affect and disproportionately kill a lot of people in the BAME community. And it's unclear whether this is due to social factors or or what, or whether there is indeed some medical or scientific reason why this is happening. Just tell us, I know you've been involved in a campaign to get an inquiry into this. Just give us your thoughts on this. Yes, um, I, I think that one of the biggest issues that is affecting the BAME community in the COVID situation um, has to do with the health inequalities that exist. Um, from what we can see, BAME communities tend to live in areas, in areas with the largest amount of um, deprivation, um, and those areas are areas where we're seeing a spike in the amount of patients with COVID-19, and that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, what we have to do as a country is is address some of the issues that are happening with COVID and ensure that we learn from it so that we don't continue the same practices. 
And what about the uh, marches we're seeing across the UK in support of people protesting about the death of George Floyd over in the US? Um, a lot of them I've seen from pictures are breaking social distancing regulations. What, what, what do you think of those more broadly? I understand why people are protesting and I, and I have no issues with the protest, but I do believe that the two-metre social distancing law has to be respected. It's people's health for themselves and for those all around that has to be taken into account. So I've seen some of the pictures and my friend actually sent me a video from the protest that was happening in New York and one of the first comments I made was what happened to the two meter social distancing. Do you feel do you feel it's an issue, Taiwo, where there's it's hard really to dig a distinction because you've got the passion on one side about a key issue, but on the other hand, obviously these concerns about health. So I understand the passion. Um, I understand the passion. I understand the frustration. I understand why they're out there marching in the streets, and I completely agree with them in some of the difficulties um, that the Bain community faces as a whole. However, I believe that in order we can't be breaking laws um, just for us. We can't. We can't be breaking those laws because it's not. Not only are we putting ourselves at risk, but we're also putting others at risk. It's about us having uh, our voices heard. And I'm pretty sure that you can still keep that two meter distance because the two meter distance is if you're within your household and you are out there protesting, your house is still together. But you can still protest and make that argument to be passionate. You're still protecting yourself and the health of others who are protesting. Uh, and Tyler, you're qualified pharmacist. Um, what do you think about the resources that are being put into the search for both treatments and vaccines for coronavirus? Are, are we giving it enough? I think that the issue with the vaccination is that, you know, as they said earlier, there's never been enough money being put into research and development in the beginning. And hence, although now that we are trying our best to find the treatment or the vaccination for COVID-19, I think that we could have been doing more. And what we have to do is, once we've found the vaccination, we have to continue to have this investment into research development and science to ensure that if this outbreak does occur, uh, we have enough scientists and enough resources for us to find a vaccination a quicker amount of time. Taiwo, I mean, given your background and your knowledge in this area and, and your experience, I know you've been working hard in this area, what faith do you have that a vaccine will be, will come within, you know, maybe a few months, which we've been told by some of the more optimistic um, companies and groups working on this? Do you really think that's a possibility, given your knowledge? Um, I'm somebody who likes to be optimistic, but I guess the scientists have always been aware that it takes months and sometimes years on average let's be honest for any for any new treatment or new vaccination of some sort to be um, produced um, and for me my biggest concern is if this vaccination actually is produced how do we have confidence that it's safe for it to be deployed out and for it to be administered out into the population but i also think governments around the world need to understand how they're going to deploy the vaccination once it's been created i haven't yet heard any discussion in terms of even us within the uk how do we have to distribute um, the vaccination? Who's going to be in charge of implementing it? Would it be the GPs or would it be the pharmacists? And I think that I think that we, in order for us to to effectively vaccinate the population, we need to have a proper strategy, and that's not being discussed right now. And what my concern is that is that we're going to leave that discussion to the last minute when the vaccination is produced, and and, and that won't be as effective as it can be. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We should have a look at some of the other stories. Uh, Roger, what else is making news in the world of politics? Well, inevitably, there's been a hangover from or a knockover or influence from across the Atlantic because uh, there have been actually protests, demonstrations, marches, if you like, here in the UK about what happened to George Floyd, who was the black American who was killed in Minneapolis. Um, we've seen the trouble, obviously, in the US the protests here were rather more restrained, but again, very great concern that they were breaking social distancing. Hundreds marched through Cardiff and Manchester and London, chanting Black Lives Matter. And it was organised, of course, after George Floyd died, when a white officer held him down by pressing a knee into his neck in Minneapolis. At the ones, the present, the demonstrations in London, Metropolitan Police officers arrested 23 people. And as I say, a lot of people very concerned, not so much about the cause, but about what's happening on the ground and how that might affect public health. Mm. And then you've got another round of Brexit talks this week. The EU chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, warning Britain needs to be more realistic in its demands. Uh, Michel Barnier telling the Sunday Times the EU will never accept anything that makes the single market more fragile. It's the final round now of talks before a summit later in the month to assess progress. The last one, you remember, ended in a bad-tempered exchange of letters between both sides. Both sides now have since published opposing draft treaties, so expectations of any progress are particularly low. Yeah, I have to say that that interview with Michel Barnier in the Sunday Times was very damning of the uh, UK side. Uh, meanwhile, of course, uh, should MPs be back in Westminster at all? MPs split on the suggestion that they will have to return tomorrow. Some can't wait, I guess. They say others, it's far too early and are angry about the end of working from home. The government insists they will be kept safe from the virus, the new working practice, and it's important they get back to work to set an example to the rest of the country. But Labour MP Vicky Foxcroft said the end of virtual parliament was forcing her to make a dangerous choice. The Shadow Minister for Disabilities said she had to ignore the advice and put herself in danger or she couldn't participate. We should be leading by example and not excluding people with disabilities, she said. And then Labour's also got its, uh, itself into hot water over the lockdown rules. An MP apologising and standing down from her front bench role after admitting breaching lockdown rules. That's Rosie Duffield, the MP for Canterbury. Uh, she met her partner for a five-hour walk when he was still living with his wife. That's according to the Mail on Sunday. Uh, guidance in the pl at the time, uh, back in April, banning people from socialising with anyone from outside their own household. The MP said she took responsibility for actions and would quit her role as an opposition whip in the Commons. I, well, let's go on. Well, I was going to say, I guess she had little choice, really, after all the kerfuffle about Dominic Cummings. It's a, a theme of the moment that you can't be seen to be allowing one rule for some and one rule for the others. Because um, Joey Jones, former advisor to Theresa May, now strategic counsel at Cicero AMO, uh, is our guest now. Let's pick that up with you, Joey. We did see from the opinion polling that came out that there was a suggestion that this has really damaged the Conservative Party and Boris Johnson's administration in particular in the eyes of the public. Yes, and I think also in the eyes of uh, a considerable number of Conservative MPs, there is a, a lot of discontent that is continuing to fester, but I think that it's sort of simmering uh, at the moment and the whole dynamic, the momentum has, uh, has, has been quelled. 
Um, there's no imminent sense that uh, Dominic Cummings is uh, is still under uh, under pressure to to leave his job. But I do think that anybody who has it in for Boris Johnson, and clearly opposition parties quite legitimately will uh, want to maintain pressure on him, well, they know that the easiest way uh, and, and the readiest way to do that is to, to find uh, an issue that Dominic Cummings is bound up in, because he is... Uh, he is definitely, obviously, not not exactly a, a, a lightning rod as he might wish, but actually a point of acute vulnerability from uh, the prime minister's perspective. But Joey, how then do you pass that with the YouGov polling that sees the Tories widening their lead over Labour? Is this Labour incompetence that that's causing this, or something else? I still think that Labour haven't really broken through uh, as a uh, potential governing force. I mean, it's a huge amount of uh, way back for for Labour. And I just don't think that Keir Starmer uh, has got much public profile at the moment. He has been successful uh, in Westminster at chipping away at the Prime Minister's confidence, at the various uh, Prime Minister's questions, um, events that have happened, and also successfully seizing upon uh, issues where the government's competence might be seen to be uh, in question and, and, and niggling away at them. So I think that he's doing a, a, a solid job, but we shouldn't kid ourselves. The, 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 the route back for Labour is a long, long one. And as you say, that, that polling only reinforced that fact. And what about the rules that are at the core of all this, the rules we've been acting under for the last oh, 10 weeks now, uh, which are, well, they were they're kind of laws, kind of regulations, a bit of vagueness about it, but also the sense that they are holding the economy back. A lot of people are at the end of the furlough period may have no job to come back to. All this builds up a kind of anger. Now, we've seen across the Atlantic what some people are saying is the result of that anger in some ways. Could you imagine uh, any kind of civil disorder here if say, for the sake of example, it was blatantly obvious that another member of the administration wasn't obeying the rules? Um, I think the greater risk uh, is probably further down the track if there is a second spike or or if the loosening of lockdown has to be reversed uh, in in any respect. Right at the moment, it feels to me uh, as though, and certainly just out and about uh, over the weekend in the in the park, uh, you know, people are people f- are feeling good. People are feeling uh, happy about uh, being re- released from the confinement that they have uh, had to endure. Though obviously, for those people who, for, for health reasons, are, are, are still, you know, particularly at risk, I, th- I think this must be a very very nervous uh, time uh, for them. But in, in general, uh, and this is where the, the main risk to the government comes uh, as well. They are striking a balance, but if that balance comes to be seen to be demonstrably wrong, which we'll, we will have to make a judgment depending on the, tra- uh, on the tracking of the uh, infection curve over, uh, over the coming months, then that could really rebound. And as you, uh, as you say, there's, there's, there's every possibility that that acrimony uh, might create a, a volatile situation. Hope, hopefully, obviously, nothing along the lines of what we're seeing uh, in, in in the UK but uh, sorry in the US rather but uh, but I do think that we have to be have to be conscious of the fact that people are people were getting understandably pretty grumpy about the the situation at the moment that safety valve uh, has been opened but but it could it could well be reversed in, in, over time 
Well, what about the economic side of things? Because Rishi Sunak riding high at the moment when he's flashing the cash, but there is this fear then that once furlough ends, once some people don't have a job to go back to, once the economy starts to to, to, to worsen and the sort of the impact of the recession gets felt, things might get nasty. And we see that with the FT report, banks warning that up to half of the bounce back loans aren't going to be repaid. Is there a crisis looming for the Chancellor? If I were the, the Chancellor or the Prime Minister, I would certainly be very uh, nervous about what, what the autumn and the winter might, might bring. I don't want to sound, sound facile about it. I do feel as though actually the, you know, the sunshine, the sunny weather, the, the ability of people to get out and about, the fact that pub gardens will probably, you know, will probably be able to open up. So the fact that we're in, we're in summer and people can queue up for school, as obviously some are taking their ch- children back uh, in, you know, in shorts and T-shirt, uh, is, is, makes things easier. But if you're getting to a point where there's a, 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 a really serious economic shock, we've got people lo- losing their jobs, you've got the pot- potential return of some form of confinement and the, the, you know, the, the evenings are, are drawing in and the weather's turning unpleasant, I think the winter... You know, enduring confinement in a spell of, uh, of warm weather has not been as painful as it, as it would be if you've got, uh, you know, rain and sleet and snow. And I'm not sure that people would find it so, so easy to be queuing for an hour and a half for the supermarket in those sorts of conditions. So it's going to be very bumpy, I think. And uh, we talk about kids going back to school, but of course uh, there's some MPs going back to school uh, tomorrow, at least theoretically. They've been summoned back to Westminster in very different conditions. We've already heard that uh, the remote voting system isn't going to happen, so there'll be some new sort of system. Have you any idea what, what it's going to look like at Westminster under these conditions? It doesn't sound very practical. The idea is that you could get a queue of MPs snaking through... I mean, the Parliament is labyrinthine, but, but even so, the suggestion that you could have a kilometre-long queue of MPs to try to get into the division lobbies, I really don't think that that's, gonna, that's going to fly over time. Um, there is a, a real appetite and a desire, particularly on the government side, to return uh, MPs to Westminster, and some of that is about buoying the, the Prime Minister's morale and giving him visible and audible support from the from the government benches. But but there's risk in that uh, uh, as well, because I think that uh, history has tended to show that you get everybody back together, and there's whispering in corridors. People have time to sidle, uh, obviously, two metres close to, to one another in, uh, in in those queues as well. And where there are murmurings of discontent uh, and to return to our initial subject i still think that you know dominic cummings is a is a focus uh, for that then there is a risk from the government point of view as well so very quickly do you think that these proposals will pass i just feel like there are so many old and um people with disabilities uh, in parliament that there's a strong interest not to get back well, the government seems determined to whip it, and obviously they have a substantial majority, so in, on that basis then you would expect them to pass, but if they are as impractical as they sound, I don't think they'll last very long. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.